So I was a top tier athlete in high school. I was that guy to wake up at 5, 6 a.m. to go to LA Fitness and train before school and after school, sneak into the gym and play basketball until they had to threaten to call the police to kick me out. <laughs> I thought I was going to the NBA. That was the only goal that I had set. Basketball was all I knew because when you're growing up in a place like Rexdale, there's not much to look forward to. But I remember about Rexdale, mean treats, don't back down, don't ever give in. I remember getting beat up by the older guys for no apparent reason, and they would say, this is just to make you tougher. All of my teachers from high school, all of my friends from high school, all of my family from high school that was supporting me here, it's like they looked at me as that golden child, you were gonna really succeed. You're the one, you're the one. Mm -hmm. you're the one. And now I felt like a disappointment. There's not really any unicorns from our culture in Canada. And that really hit me. It really hit me. This is bigger than myself. This is bigger than the company. This is for a whole other generation of young black entrepreneurs that we need to do this for. Safari Bailey, how you doing, man? Feeling fantastic. Any better I'd be you. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. You know, it was so it was so critical for me to have you be the first guest um, of the Unlinear podcast because you know, the whole goal of the podcast is to show people that your starting point doesn't dictate your end point, that there's all these interesting transitions that lead you to where you're finally going to be. Um, and, you know, one of the first things that jumps out at me is you were a top level high school basketball player. Do, do you feel like any of that has informed your work as a CEO? And before doing that, please, let's take a moment to first tell the people who you are, what you represent today and then take them on a journey of what you used to represent uh, and how you got to this point. Definitely. Thank you so much for the introduction, Trafal. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Tafari Bailey, CEO and founder of Hutsey Financial. And in a nutshell, we've built out a financial institution for marginalized communities, low-income Canadians, and new immigrants to Canada by providing products and services around them that add value, such as the first debit card in Canadian history that builds credit with every purchase that you make, early access to payroll so individuals never have to use a payday loan again, as 45% of the nation lives paycheck to paycheck, most of those individuals happen to look like us, mm -hmm. as well as no fee banking solutions, whereas traditionally with financial institutions, you pay a monthly fee for your bank account. And if you don't maintain a certain balance, there's a fee, whereas HUD seats, no fee banking. So in terms of being an athlete back in the day, yeah. So I was a top tier athlete in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I was that guy to wake up at 5, 6 a.m. to go to LA Fitness and train before school, shower up, get to school, play basketball in the morning, at lunchtime, eat lunch really quickly, go back onto the courts, and after school, sneak into the gym and play basketball until they had to threaten to call the police to kick me out. <laughs> but that was was good stuff because I would bring my team with me. I would say the first year I went to Louise Arbor Secondary School, which was in Brampton, grade 10, we weren't a very good basketball team. <laughs> we weren't a very good basketball team because we didn't have the time to really build that team chemistry mm -hmm. over the summertime. My grade 11 year, there was a lockout. So I don't know if you remember that lockout year where, where teachers went on strike. In high schools, was, right? Yes. Yes, I do. And there was no sports. So grade 11 was kind of a locked off. But I managed to play basketball for another school, Woodbridge College, even though I didn't quote unquote go there. The coach mm -hmm. said, you know what? You're such a great athlete. We're going to make this happen. And believe it or not, I never got caught. <laughs> do you worry about the team having to forfeit wins the more you have to tell that story? <laughs> Regardless if they do or not, that's behind us now. So we're going to go back. So let's, you said, obviously you started out in the West End. Is that Rexdale? Yes, that's Rexdale. So I actually 
my mom used to have a salon yes. out in Rexdale. Um, so I went to Elmley Public School. Wow. Is when I was first going to school. And I remember that's like close to Woodbine Mall, right? So yes. then I'm I'm aging myself, but I'm at Woodbine Mall before the clear Asian influx. So when yep. it was really a decrepit mall, they used to have the mural that the kids had painted. Yep. Tell me what you remember about Rexdale when you were five, six, seven growing up. What I remember about Rexdale, mean treats, don't back down, don't ever give in. That's the way the way that we were raised, that's the way that we lived. It was the ghetto, the trenches. I remember walking to school, mm-hmm. walking back from school, mm-hmm. getting beat up by the older guys mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. And they would say, this is just to make you tougher mm-hmm. for when you were adult. And then they would give you money to go and buy a patty and things of that nature after. I've seen a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen, but things that I don't regret seeing because that made me see, okay, this is the path that these individuals are living this is not is what I don't want to do in life. Do you know what I do you know what I mean? There? Of course, yeah. I, yeah. I understand that. So when you are going through this period of time, do you have any siblings? Yeah. So I have one sister on my side. Mm-hmm. And when I say my side, I mean my mom's side. Mm-hmm. And on my dad's side, I have a younger sister and two older brothers. And I forgot to mention that the sister on my mother's side is a younger sister. Okay. So in total, two older brothers, two younger sisters. I'm the middle child. And when you're growing up, are your parents still together or are they separated? As they well? were separated, but I spent a lot of time with my father as well. What would you say is the most important lesson your father taught you? The most important lesson that my father has taught me is that you always belong. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't belong and always work hard. Don't back down and don't give in. And those are in line with the lessons that I've learned in Rexdale as well. Did you feel like you belonged when you were growing up in Rexdale? I did, but I didn't. And the reason why I didn't feel that I belonged is I've seen older individuals, you know, the man them as they call them, mm-hmm. quote unquote, I've seen the life that they're living and I did not feel that that was the life for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so growing up, um, a lot of my friends would smoke. They would be involved in gang-related activities, mm-hmm. drugs and things of that nature. But I never did any of that. Basketball always kept me away from that. Mm-hmm. So I did feel like I belonged, but I didn't feel like I belonged in that aspect. I always knew there was more to life. So when did you know, because obviously you spend the time, obviously in a totally different way, I spent time playing high school football. I loved high school football. I still love high school football. Yeah. It is the ultimate place to learn politics. You got your your quarterback, who's like this California politician. Yeah. You got your running back who... Um, because he has to know his lineman, your running back is a very charismatic guy because usually your linemen are these big farm boys, high school age, probably insecure, you know, mildly overweight, as they say. But And he's making them feel a part of it and feel tribe. He's close with the quarterback. He's close with the wide receivers. The wide receivers are your basketball players. Yep. Staying in shape in the offseason. <laughs> Corners, same thing. Um, so it's, it's just this melting pot of people all over the place. But I say that story to say that for a long period of time, Football was my escapism. Yes. There is my world. There's my schooling. But I come to play football. I'm a football player. And I'm imagining and dreaming. And, you know, that that is where, that's where my, that's, that is at the time where my dreaming happened. Did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Or was there ever a time when your dreaming was exclusively saved for the basketball court? I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to the NBA. That was the only goal that I had set. Basketball was all I knew. Because when you're growing up in a place like Rexdale, there's not much to look forward to. So basketball was my savior. That's the only thing I had to look forward to, especially uh, my mom would work multiple jobs. So I would rarely see her. She would always be working to put food on the table. So what am I going to do when she's gone? Play basketball. 
Yep. So that was my calling card. That was my savior. And all of my friends, I've met my best friends in life through sports and through basketball. So only because I know where you went to school. Um, how old were you when you tell yourself you're not going to play in the NBA? I was either in first or second year university. Wow. Yes, I was in first or second year university. Um, I realized that I was a red shirt for Brock University. Mm-hmm. I was in practice and I felt like I was cooking the point guards that were there. <laughs> yep. But the way it works is coach gives scholarships to specific people to come to the school. Mm-hmm. and You can't really bench those individuals. So I was supposed to go to training camp at Brock University, but I missed training camp because I had an AAU tournament. I believe it was in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to skip that to go to training camp. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I wasn't on a scholarship or anything. I was a quote unquote walk on player. There was a time where the coach was actually supposed to see me play in high school, Mm -hmm. but he didn't show up to that game. And I didn't know he didn't show up to the game until after but I ended up scoring about 56 points in that game due to the manner that I thought the Brock coach was going to be there, but he wasn't. So you, you're, how old are you in your second year of university? In my second year of university, I'm going to ask him and say I'm 23, 22 or 23. So 20, let's call it, so let's say you're, 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 you're a, you know, Rick sales tough, but let's say that you're a, you're a, you're a blank canvas child, four years old, the world starts to imprint upon you. Let's call it maybe even three you spend 20 years in an identity, which is you're fitting in, you're not fully fitting in, but your father's giving you this confidence that you have a place. You've put all that confidence together. It's probably why you went to the AAU tournament because you're thinking it's going to work out. I have a place. Yep. You show up to a place where on merit alone, you, they're not going to give you an opportunity. What did that do to your identity at that time? Really destroyed me. I didn't feel like I had an identity because up until this point in time in my life, Basketball was my only love. That's all I knew. That's all I wanted to do. So it was like I was going through depression. It was tough. It's like, what do I do with my life? 23. Depressed. Yep. yep, 23, depressed. Nothing really going for me. Uh, My grades were suffering in school because Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Isolated myself from friends. Mm -hmm. Just because I had a mission, all of my teachers from high school, all of my friends from high school, all of my family from high school that was supporting me here, it's like they looked at me as that golden child. You were going to really succeed. You're the one. You're the one. Mm-hmm. You're the one. And now I felt like a disappointment. Mm-hmm. What was the most hurtful thing you heard? Now, there's two types of hurtful things in life. There's the stuff you hear that hurts because it's like, why would you say that? There's stuff you hear that hurts because you're worried it might be true. If you could bring yourself back to that time, what were the two most hurtful things you heard? One that you thought was true and one that you couldn't believe somebody could say about you? One that really hurt me is when the coach for Brock University says he doesn't see a fit for me on the team. Mm. That really, really hurt me. That made, that hurt me and made me want to quit basketball. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I did. Mm-hmm. I I did. Not just not a fit in the starting lineup, not just not a fit, but not a fit for the team. Yes. You, you, you're not a good energy in practice, yes. which is in direct contradiction to that lesson that you've been walking with your whole life. The lesson your father gave you that carried you through growing up out West, through being who you are, such a unique individual. And here's this coach challenging that. Yes. 
and he does get you off the team. What do you think would have happened if you stayed on the team? I would have continued to practice. I would have continued to show my work ethic and show my talents. And then maybe there would have been a roster spot for me. It's like I, I quit. I gave up. I stopped showing up to practice. I, I didn't really say anything. So I put that all on me. But I was a young and naive child back then. Maybe you don't start Hutsi though either. Yep. I definitely wouldn't have. I remember I have a, a friend of mine. He was on a soccer scholarship. Phenomenal player coming out of high school. Um, and he always used to say, I don't love soccer. I just wake up out of bed and I'm good at it. Yes. And I remember, you know, he plays and he, he's on a scholarship and he does it for years. And then there's that moment of time right after school where he has now the opportunity to go try out for some minor league soccer teams and he's going to try and work his way to the MLS. But it's that moment where he has to want it. The way he got a scholarship, he was sort of playing for a rep team. Somebody found him, gave him a scholarship. Yes. But this is that moment where... A, a team didn't see him play in college and give him an offer. So he has to go to the camps. You got to want it. You got to want to stay in a hotel room for 40 bucks, yeah. take a bus, go to another trial. Um, and when I'm talking to him, and, and, you know, around that time when he comes home, he, he had, you know, obviously as people do, oh, my family needs me. I got to get a job. I got, you know. For sure. But it was a smokescreen. The truth was that the, the process had broken his will. It broke his will to try. I hear that in what you're saying about the team, that they broke your will. But I also know that the seeds of Hutsi Financial start while you're at school. Yes, that is absolutely true. So you go at this point, will, identity, perspective, sort of it's a blank canvas now. Yes, in comparisons. Like you never really want to compare yourself to anybody but yeah. yourself, but people that were my backups in AU that were my backups in high school, playing in college and university, seeing them succeed. And then you're here and it's like, you were the man in so the high comparison school, you were the man you. in AU. Yes. So the comparisons and things of that nature. Hmm. So how do you get from that to what I see now? What was the first step? The first step, I've always been this kind of guy in life. Whenever there's a problem, I see a solution. Problem is, I'm not going to go to the NBA and need something to do with my life. Solution, let's get into business. Let's transfer this passion, energy, effort, work ethic, and dedication into business. So I started multiple businesses. Mm. Some have been successful. Some haven't. Mm -hmm. What was your most successful business? The, 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 the one that gave you the bug? The one that gave me the bug, it was probably EcoClean Snow Removal. So EcoClean Snow Eco Removal. EcoClean Snow okay, Removal. Okay, what did they do? So ultimately, I had a coach. Remember I told you that um, there was a lockout year and then I played for another mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. So the school that I played for was Woodbridge College. And then we had a coach by the name of Coach K. So he had a company by the name of EcoClean Snow Removal in Brampton. Okay. So whenever there'd be a snowstorm, he would call me and the athletes. He would pick us up. He'd tell us, you know, we're only going to be shoveling snow for a couple of hours and I'll give you guys 50 bucks. A couple of hours would turn into 10 to 12 hours, <laughs> and we'd be shoveling all night. We wouldn't get home until 6 o'clock. We'd have no time to sleep, and school would be the next day. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, he'd call us. All we'd get was a little Tim Hortons. <laughs> but would he at least pay the 50 bucks? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, my gosh. But well, that was, what was it about that experience that gave you the bug for business? Just that your potential is unlimited. 
it's it's unlimited and it was cash it was cash at the end of the day i'm thinking okay if this is what we're making what is coach k making so when i was in st Catharines and it was winter time i'm like you know what i asked for his permission i'm like let me bring eco clean snow removal to niagara wow so then me and my roommates we got together i emailed a bunch of people and then i had booked a meeting with the largest property rental company in niagara at the time it was broadview property rentals so i go and i took my roommate sorry how old are you when you take this meeting I want to say between 20 and 21. So you take, so the, you, you did this meeting before leaving the basketball team. It was around the same time. It okay. was around the same time. Okay. Okay. Because, okay. Cause basketball is obviously a winter sport. Yeah. If they don't see you on the team, you're probably missing the beginning of the season. Exactly. You spend obviously this time, the grades are suffering. You're in a rough place. But then almost very quickly, you make this transition. to Yeah. So apologies. School. So when you finish high school, you're about 18. Mm-hmm. First year, you're about 19, 20. So, okay, when I told the original story, I was even younger than that. I wasn't 22, 23. I was probably 19, 20. You're 19, 20. Your whole identity is being re, re, reshaped. Now you're 2021 20, doing eco, eco snow removal. Eco clean snow removal. So that was, yeah, I'm 2021 doing okay. that. We had the meeting with Brockview Property Rentals. And then that's when I realized I could talk to anybody. So I sold him a big game, told him that we had a large team. He loved us at the end of it. He's like, you guys are hired. We have over 100 units, and it was a six-figure contract. Yeah, yeah, it was a... (laughs) (laughs) You sell them on a a 100-person team, or or hundreds of people. How many people are on the team the day you close the meeting? The day we closed the meeting, it was me and my three three roommates. (laughs) It was me and my three roommates. So you, were they at the meeting? No, it was me and my roommate, Ryan. Because Ryan was the only one that had a car. So Ryan okay. has to drive me So there. Ryan drives. Does Ryan have a good poker face when he sees you selling the bill of goods at the pitch? Ryan was sweating buckets. <laughs> he was sweating buckets. I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you, you create a, a situation similar to an athlete. You put yourself in harm's way, which athletes love to do. I, I love athlete entrepreneurs because they assess risk, but they do so violently. Yeah. So in your mind, I know, I know what happens. You think it's better to close it than not. Yes. Right? Close in the knot, then tell him no. It's better to close it than not and then scale it back. Hey, yes. man, I know it took on this much. I got to do this. I got to do this. Because it, he signed you. Yes. So now you're in control. Yes. So, so continue now. So you, you close the six-figure contract, team of 100. You got four guys. What's your next move? It was a verbal commitment. So he was going to send the contract over. So he sent us. So he gave us the paperwork on the spot. So I took this back home to my roommates. I put the agreement on the table. We all sat back and laughed because there was no way we were going to be able to do that. It was just four of us with one shovel and one car with <laughs> over 100 units that we had to do. <laughs> so I had to call him the next day. Ah, Bob, you know what? We don't have the human capital to take on this demand, but we, we could chat about this next year. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so then we knew we had something there. We okay. had something there in business, like you have unlimited potential right. with what you want to do. So, so that the, was a light bulb moment. The thing that gets you, I like, I love this story, <laughs> and I love, and I, I'm, I'm, I deconstruct these things sometimes, not even for myself, but so for the audience listening. The thing that gets you hooked on business, you made no money from. Yes, it was just the thrill of the win. Yes, wow, it was just the thrill of the win. Do you still find it that way now? Like, obviously, there are things that happen with Hudson Financial that are of a monetary gain. And then there's the little wins that you win every day. Today, what's more satisfying for you? The money wins or the, or the, or the thrill? Is it the thrill the of the hunger or is it the money? It's the thrill of the it's hunger. It's the game. Yeah. It's the game. It's the game. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we have this, 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 you know, snow removal company that signed its big client, walks away from it. I presume you guys finished that season taking on the jobs that you could. We didn't take on any jobs after that, no. <laughs> no, because we didn't have the time to. Our schedule was, okay. was too busy. But after we got that, we realized there's something here. Yeah. There's something here in the business realm. So you continue on and then you end up doing a technology company with one of your roommates. Yes. Was it one of the original four who was part of the snow removal company that you pitched? Yes. Who was it? It was Obi. Okay. So then Obi comes with the idea or you come with the idea? So Obi was, he was the only one of us that was into startups. And there was another gentleman named Nyron. So I was also working at TD Canada Trust at the time. So you're at the bank, Obi's a startup aficionado, which I tell you what, in Canada is a hard thing to know. It's a yes. hard thing to know that there is a world to create companies. Yes. Right? You're thinking, I got to get a job. I got to get a paycheck. Maybe I'll... And then even the way, you know, I grew up in Brampton. You're on the West End. When you think of starting a business, you're thinking of monetizing a hustle. Yes. You know, passing up flyers, taking some... You know, you're thinking... So you're at TD Canada Trust. You have this sort of consistent, sustainable income. I've been in the bank system. So I yes. know how they... I don't want to say brainwash, but I know how they train you. Let's call it Totally. That. I know how they train you to think, uh, tell her today regional manager 10 years yes. from now, we'll see you, you know, on retirement day. But yes. they, bring, they bring you in to turn you. I always say that. They do. So you're there. There's, there's, there has to be some sense of accomplishment that you're at the, you know, you're at the bank. Be, because I know how the bank trains and how they make you feel so strong and so empowered in, the, in their role. You've tried, you know, you've done these, these moments with, the, with, these, with these friends. You have these roommates. When Obi comes to you talking about startups, do you listen at first or did you push him away at first? Pushed him away at first. Yeah. And then Nyron, my other roommate, he would always say, you're much bigger than the bank. So let me sum it up for you. My first four quarters at the bank, first quarter was a training quarter, so I don't really count that. But second quarter, I was number one in my branch in sales revenue. Mm -hmm. Third quarter, I was number one in my district in sales revenue. Mm -hmm. Fourth quarter, I was number one in the region in terms of sales revenue. Yeah, and bear in mind, I am... I wasn't full-time. I was still in school full-time. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? At one point, I was a casual employee. Wow. And then I'll even show you some photos after so you could put on the screen while you're doing this podcast. But, like, it, we had this thing called units, units per day. Yep. So there were some weeks where I would win four weeks in a row where I had the most units. Um, I was averaging about 16, 17 units per day, and financial advisors and financial services representatives would average lower units than me. Jeez. Yeah, there was, when I was working at a branch in Welland, one of the, I won't mention the name, but one of the financial services representatives was beefing me indirectly because the branch manager would get on them and say, Tafari is a teller and he's doing better numbers than you. Jeez. And she was a full-time financial services representative. At that time, only, and this is not to speak negative of the bank, but at that time, do you, are you aware that you're working more than they're paying you? Because the bonus structures are not in place for you to be properly compensated. Yes, for no, I wasn't. I was just always on a high. So the same way how, like, you know, I'll be posting wins on Hutsey on my Instagram story. Back then it was Snapchat. So I'd be posting my TD wins on Snapchat. And we had this thing called Champions. Mm -hmm. So that's where they take the highest performing representatives. They bring them overseas and you have a vacation for like four or five days. Mm -hmm. I made Champions in my first year, which is unheard of. Mm -hmm. 
So then one of my buddies, he was actually the youngest branch manager in Canada. Mm. And when I was talking to the district vice president, the plan was for him to move up and for me to take that role in the next couple of years. So you're, wow. Okay. So not only are you at the bank, not only are you seeing that it's skillful, which I'm assuming is triggering the athlete in you. Because I know an athlete loves to be good at something. Yeah, right? yeah. You love the wins. You love the, you wins. Love the wins. And it's it's statistical. Yes, it's, it's, it's competitive. It's, it's like, you know, I want it to be number one. Yeah. I want it to and be And you're being one. that. And then they give you the career path. Yes. And I know how those conversations work. Whether it be five years, two years, three years, two months, five months, whatever it is. But when you get the tap on the shoulder, you know it's a real tap. Yes. All, they, all it means is don't mess it up. It's not like you're home free, but you're going to call your shot. You're, the next job lets you pick a job. Yes. How old are you when they give you that offer? When they give me the... Or, or when, they're talk, when they have this conversation with you about this succession plan that they have for you. This was at Champions. So this is at the champ... This is at essentially the best yes. of the best top elite trip. Yes, that is correct. And then right after that, I got, a, I got my promotion. Wow. To an FSR, and they sent me to the busiest branch in the district, which was Branch 90 in Stony Creek. Wow. Yeah. So now you're in Stony Creek. Have you already started work on the business with OB and your other roommates yet? No, not at this time. Wow. Okay, so they come to you when not only have you proven your medal at the bank, but the bank has done something that's so rare for people. It's shown you love. It gave you the promotion. Yes. I understand why you pushed him off the first time. Yes. They're like, you're bigger than TD. Don't you think you're bigger than yep. TD? But I'm going off of the high. You know, yep. I am a kid from Rexdale. I'm, we went to Punta Cana, yep. all inclusive. Yep. That was my first time experiencing anything like yeah. that. So I'm on a high. I'm enjoying the love every week. Um, we're getting emails. Oh, Tafari Bailey is number one in the district this week. X amount of units. You're getting the high. Yeah, I'm and on the, the recognition. High. And the recognition. Because, you know, look, man, an athlete loves a crowd. Nothing yes. wrong with it. An athlete loves a crowd, man. You love the applause. Yep. And there's something about that. You're in this this close circle. Sure, it means a lot to your Snapchat and your Instagram followers, but in TD, you're walking around. Your chest is big. They know you're yep. So District vice president knows my name. It's <laughs> like he would go to all these branches every couple of weeks. You know, hey, Tafari, how's yep. it going? Yep. Yep. And that, that's yep. a handshake that means something, especially, yep. I mean, and this look, I don't want to marginalize any other community, but coming from where we come from, that's a that's a serious hand to shake. Totally, it's a serious hand. It does something to your brain when you shake that hand. And you yep. think, yeah, man, I'm looking at you eye to eye. I'm coming like there's that, and then there, there's that athlete in you that says, man, five years, I'll be right there. You know, like yep. there's all that energy for you. So what is it like when Obi comes now? Because you're on a high, you're rebuilding your identity. You're probably only five years into doing it. You're achieving success, and you have a friend who essentially asks you to give it all up to reframe your identity again. What's that like? Yeah, so what that's like is it didn't make any sense to me. It's like I was that was a completely different universe. And if everything is working here, if the wheel isn't broken, mm -hmm. why am I switching cars? Mm -hmm. That's the way I felt. Why am I really switching cars? And then when I got to actually... So for my first year of university to second university, I had different roommates. Mm -hmm. It's like in the summertime, I went to school in Brock University. That's a university town. People are there really September to April, then April, May, June, July, August, everybody goes back home, mm -hmm. except for the people that have summer school or the entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So that's when I really got to know my buddy, Obi, because he took me into an entrepreneurship house with two other entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. this is the life these guys are living. You know, I'm one of my roommates, Panther. He would come out of a room, oh, 
just closed a $500 deal. I'm like, what a $500 deal? That was rent for the whole month. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just have one conversation over the phone and you could make $500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then I... So a more immediate win, a new high. Yeah, a new high. And and if, if, if you don't spend that time there in the summer... No. No way. No way. So I was just learning, learning. All of them had various agencies. So then I created my first... Okay, before the digital marketing agency, I created a company by the name of Northwest Staffing. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much to connect students looking for jobs with people looking to hire. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out. And then I called it job prep. So where we would prep people for jobs, we would give them consultings, and we would edit their resume. Mm-hmm. So we got a few people signed up. We would charge $20 to do their resume, but the margins just didn't make sense. And I would have these meetings for an hour with people. And then by the time it came down to paying the $20, they didn't have that money, so that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And then I created a digital marketing agency. Obi kind of inspired me to do that because he had his own digital marketing agency. Mm -hmm. And we had a bunch of clients. We had some car dealerships. We had some real estate agents, some mortgage professionals. It was working really well. And then I noticed a lot of the clients that we had were real estate agents and mortgage professionals. So I'm like, okay, this is our niche. This is where we're going to niche down. So we changed the company, which was called Leads App, to Canada Homes, to a Canada-wide digital marketing agency specializing <laughs> in customer acquisition for real estate professionals. Are you the CEO at this point or no? Yes. You are the CEO. I am the CEO. So how do you go from it's not your idea to being the CEO? What? How did that work? Um, the marketing agency was my idea. So the marketing agency is your idea. When you started the marketing agency, it's essentially the same characters before, though, right? It's the same group of guys that you've been working with the entire time. Yes. But it was just known that because this is your idea, that's your football. Exactly. And there was no hesitation on you to take that that leadership role, that, that initial step. No, not at all. Because they were mentoring me, providing me with advice and things of that nature at the time. So it's like Obi did a lot of the marketing. Mm-hmm. And then he had his own separate team with um, a couple of other guys as well. So mm-hmm. I would just really learn from them, learn from them, and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you amalgamated into Canada Homes. You, you essentially figure out what the niche is. Yes. Um, is this the one that you exit before going to Hudson? Yes. Okay. So we scaled that up to the point where we had about 40 to 50 real estate agents slash mortgage brokers under retainer. So we had anywhere from a bronze package where they would pay $500 a month, mid-tier $1,000 a month, premium $1,500 a month. And pretty much what we would do if you were on the 1000 or $1,500 a month package, mm-hmm. we'd run ads on Google, we'd run ads on Facebook, we'd get people interested in name, email, phone number, and wanting to purchase or sell their home. We'd have a call center in the Philippines that would call those individuals to pre-qualify them beforehand. And if they were interested, we'd book them an appointment with the real estate agent. Wow. And it's like for real estate agents, I want to say they make about 2.5% on the sale of a house. So mm-hmm. on a $500,000 house or $800,000 house, correct me if I'm wrong on the math, but that should be about $15,000, give or take. Mm-hmm. So for them to be spending $1,000 a month, which is um, 12000 throughout the course of the year, even if they get one deal, it pays for itself. Right. Because you're essentially just high-skilled lead gen. Yes. So then what do you do with that company once you, obviously, when, when you get it to its, to its growth, what's your, what do you do with it? So one guy continue to call my phone down because we were stealing his customers. Mm. Um, he continued to say that we were stealing his customers. We didn't care. We hung up. <laughs> and then eventually he called and said, let's work together, hung up. And then he called again. I'll buy your book of business. 
So he's going to buy the company. Wow. Yep. And it made sense because it was closer towards April. This was our, I believe, our fourth year of university when we were all about to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going back to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Always in Niagara, one guy going to Ottawa, one guy London. So it only made sense to to exit out at that point in time. If you're not in your fourth year, do you guys, let's say you're like a career Niagara guy. School's not a factor. Do you think you're still doing that business today? Possibly. Wow. Possibly. I don't think I would be in Toronto. I think I would have stayed in Niagara. Wow. We would have operated everything there. Is there, okay, so you had 40 agents Yes. If you had 400, do you think you would have sold it? I, I don't know because I didn't know that you could sell companies and build <laughs> companies, but I was a baby. I was a baby, and I would say that was my first or my second real, you know, light bulb moment mm-hmm. that you could make money in the space. And I would say the first real moment was, as I mentioned, St. Catharines is a university town. Mm-hmm. So people are only there September to April. Mm-hmm. But we're signing 12-month leases. So what happens April, May, Mm -hmm. June, July, August? Rent is $600 a month. We would live in a place by the name of The Lofts where there's four roommates each. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would go. I would say book a meeting with their whole house. Hey, Travel and roommates, you guys are paying $600 a month, but you guys are going back home to Toronto for four months. (coughs) I'll give you each $200 a month for your room, so $800 total. You're, when you're a broke college student, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So we would get them. And then I would release these out and say, hey, Ryan, mm-hmm. this usually goes for $600 a month. I'm going to give it to you for $400 a month. Wow, I'm saving $200 at the lofts? Of course, why not? And that would do that to three other people. So then I would be making $800 per unit and continue to scale that and do that. So by the time September comes around, my tuition is paid and my rent is paid for the most part. Because you're doing <laughs> meetings with more than just your house. You end up doing it with one house, second house, three houses, four yep, houses. Yep. And it's just all, a whole sublet play. Because we just get the properties and it sells itself. We list them on Kijiji mm-hmm. and Craigslist. And then people are calling me to look at the houses. And I'm essentially a real estate agent without a real estate license. <laughs> <laughs> so you're making money on that rental play. And this is obviously before you get to your final year. Yes. And before you do. This is before Canada Homes. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So that was your first moment of seeing that there could be money made, but obviously that's a regional business. So when everybody comes back, you know, Obi from Obi, who's in Niagara, your partner from London, you're back. Well, you're staying out there. Obviously, you're not going back to Toronto. Yeah. So you have this long birth of time of just being a Niagara guy. Totally. Okay. When you come back to Toronto, how much of a shell shock it is for you? A shell shock is it for you? I've never really been to Toronto before. Okay. Like I've never been to the downtown core, et cetera. So this was like, wow, from little Niagara to this. Yeah. Yeah. Because your upbringing is West End. West End, Rexdale. You spend a bit of time in Brampton. Yep, yep. You're going out to Niagara. Yep. You spend your four years there. Yep. Or your, your time there. When you come back, do you go to Toronto or do you go back to the West End? Where, where is it that you come back to when you finish school? I went, so I spent some time in Brampton. Mm-hmm. And then I went straight to the big city. I said, okay, if I'm living here, Toronto is the fourth largest city in North America. Let's do it big. And the reason I decided to pick Toronto, because I needed a way to make money. I needed a way to make money, and I thought about what was I doing in university to make money? Mm-hmm. Doing the sublets. Mm-hmm. So why not do this on a bigger scale in Toronto? So we partnered up with a ton of landlords. Airbnb was booming at the time. This was, I want to say, 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. when the Raptors won the NBA championship. So back then, 
a two-bedroom unit in Toronto was about $2,700. Mm-hmm. So we would partner up with the landlords, we'd rent them out, we'd fully furnish them and everything. And then we created a software, partner up with a software as well, mm-hmm. where we would be able to list these properties on about 60 different platforms worldwide. Mm-hmm. Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor, VRBO, HomeAway, and so many others. Mm-hmm. And we're listing these properties for an average three to $400 a night. On days like Caravana, $1,500 a night for the weekend. On New Year's, $1,500, et cetera. So we would be paying about $2,700 a month for rent with utilities and everything. Let's call it $3,000, but we'd be grossing about $7,000 a month. You're doing this with a team of what size? With a team of two. So it was myself. It was myself at first. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, okay, capital is scarce. You only have X amount of dollars. I want to scale this. Let me bring on a partner. So I called one of my childhood buddies from Rexdale. Because I know oh. he, he had a trucking business at the time, and I know he understands business, finance, money. And I said, brother, this is what I'm working on. I'm running it up. Let's do this together. Yeah. And he was the operations guy, and I was like the external guy. So then we did it for a while. We had about three or four properties together. Mm-hmm. And then we realized at a certain point, it's like me and you will only be able to do X amount together. But if we wanted to really scale this, let's get outside investors in. Mm-hmm. And we would just manage the property and turn 20% because we know we're making a profit here. Mm-hmm. So at one point in time, we had about 20 units across the downtown Toronto core, mostly in the ice condos, if you're familiar with there. Oh, yeah. That's Airbnb Central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like cool. the Central, they used to call it. <laughs> you know, you go down to the club, they go to the ice condos. Right, that's it. Slackness. Trust me. So you had 20, 20 condos across the downtown core, focus on the ice. You're essentially running outside investors, you're just managing this 20% fee. So the concept is they're putting up a lot of the capital and you're just dripping the fee on the end. And that's because you know the margins have enough for you to yes, eat off that. Exactly. We pay them out every month as well. So it's like these investors would be getting paid out their returns every single month. We had a platform CRM that we were managing. So for example, let's say an average one bedroom unit, we'd call it, let's say $10,000 first, last, plus the funds to furnish it. So we had this platform they could see, okay, let's say there was four investors in the unit, mm-hmm. 2,500 here, 2,500 there, 2,500, 2,500. They'd be able to see the calendar. Mm-hmm. Who booked it? How long have they booked? How much money is going to be made? What's your cut? So you essentially were doing, you were essentially, you had an interface that was similar to Airbnb. Yes. Yes. Because it, because it, and it immediately would calculate it. Who built that for you? Guesty. Guesty. Okay. 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 So how do you go from that to Hutsey? Interesting story. So we call that. Because we're, we're as tight as 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And your Dragon's Den spot with Hutsey is what year? 2020. So we, that's, why, that's why I'm very specific. The Raptors win the title June of 2020. Right? No, 2019. June of 2019. You're right. 2020, everything's shut down. Raptors win the title June of 2019. Does Hutsey exist yet? Yes, but the Hutsey that you know didn't exist. So what did exist? And when so did that start? after we started doing this, we said, okay, we should make this into a company. Mm. So we called it Space Hosts because it was a space and we'd host it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And then we were getting individuals to invest. So then we changed the name from Space Host to Hutsey Stays. Hutsey <laughs> is like a hut. So originally... <laughs> We wanted to be a real estate platform, a global real estate platform where individuals could invest in real estate with as little as $100, and we would um, do rental arbitrage. I got it. Okay, so you were doing, um, it's almost like a REIT. Yes. Gotcha. 
Correct. So we were doing that. And then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. COVID-19 forces you to pivot? It forced us to pivot because travel stopped. Travel stopped. The city placed some new rules on Airbnb. I don't know if you heard, but where you have to pay a Mm $5,000 licensing fee and pay X amount to the city. So we had this book of business and we would have been screwed. We would have went bankrupt. So luckily there was a gentleman, Shadow Peter, if you're watching this podcast, but he had a way bigger portfolio than us. He had maybe a hundred units, Toronto, Niagara, Hamilton, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he thought this COVID thing was a joke. It would only last two to four months. So we were able to sell him the entire portfolio. You're serious. Yeah. The entire portfolio to pay out investors. So all the investors were are happy and they were mad at the same time. They were mad because their income stream was going away because we were paying them out. Every because month. you made them whole. Yeah, yeah. And then you essentially walk. Exactly. To go do something else. Yeah. Did you know how serious COVID was? No. No, none of us really knew what it was. When you're selling it though, how do you know? Are you selling it because you can kind of see around the corner, good to cut this dog now? Or you're selling it because you're worried about servicing your investors? I'm selling it because I'm worried about servicing my investors because we had people booking up to six months in advance and cancellation, 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 cancel, and the new Airbnb law. So we had to exit. What is that like? Because everything you're describing now is everything's coming up Dixie. Yes. Sounds like you're a pretty solid entrepreneur. And you hit a wall. We hit a wall. And what I said earlier in the podcast, I've always been the kind of guy, when I see a problem, I look at the solution. The problem is travel stopped, Airbnb laws, everybody's canceling. The solution is jump out the window and sell this portfolio to somebody else. And that's exactly what we did. So you off the portfolio, but now you have essentially a name and no business underneath it. Yes, we have a name and no business and we have this leftover capital. We have this leftover capital from the money that we've made for managing as well as, you know, um, the money that we've made from the- So you have the money that you sold plus the money that you had been saved. For the audience, just out of curiosity, are you able to say how much that amount was? That was over six figures, definitely. Okay. Definitely over six figures. And then we're like, okay, COVID-19, so many people are losing jobs. What are the next steps? Why don't we just give out loans? We have all this extra capital. (laughs) (laughs) But it wouldn't make sense to call the company Hutsey Stays, so why don't we call it Hutsey Financial? Wow. And that's how Hutsey Financial came to life. Hutsey Financial is born out of the pandemic. So March 2020, everything starts to get locked down? Yes. When do you exit Hutsey Stays? We exit Hutsey Stays. So before May, so April or May. April or May. Yeah, give or take. When do you go on Dragons then? When do we go on Dragon's Den? I want to say we went on Dragon's Den. It was definitely during the pandemic because I couldn't shake their hands after and we were wearing masks. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to think of the day. When do we go on Dragon's Den? Is it 2020? It's got to be 2020. Got to be 2020 or 2021. Is it 2021 or 20? I want to think because we're 2023 right now. Yeah. So it was 2020 because they aired the, the video in December. Mm-hmm. And we were one of, so we shot it in June. You got, I just want to make sure we say this. You got your Dragon's Den pitch a month after essentially starting the business. Yes. <laughs> yes. What are we talking about? What are right? we talking about? Right. You got the, I, okay. You flip, okay. So you, okay. Hutsey Stays. Hutsey Stays is a company. You have, obviously, you've been making income. You offload the book of business, obviously. You, you settle, you're able to settle out your investors and maintain an amount that is still above six figures yes. during COVID. You pivot the business to Hutsey Financial because you want to be in a position to give out loans. 
And 30 days later, now I've done the Dragon's Den process, but I did it pre-COVID. So I know there's that, that initial one where you go sit with the, you go to like a school or whatever, and you sit with like the initial producers, then you get round two and then round three's TV. Yes. When you sell Hutsy Stays, there's no way you already did round one. It's impossible. No. Yeah. And I'm assuming that because of COVID, it was virtual. Yes, everything was virtual. 30 days after Hutsy Stays, you're doing the virtual Dragon's Den pitch? Yes. And the reason why we have the idea to do the Dragon's End pitch and to pivot into banking because we were giving out these loans. So we were giving out on average $500 loans. They would make six biweekly payments for about $125.11. So after six weeks, we would have gotten about $750 in some change. Better than payday lending, by the way. Yeah, so we'd make about $250 in profit. But then after a while, we realized, yeah, this is good money, but this isn't really ethical. How are we better than the payday lenders if we do this? Jesus. So how could we do the same thing and lend money to these same kind of people but for little cost or no cost, then we figured, why not open a bank? <laughs> why not open a bank where we could offer these services for free because we'll already have the deposits for the most part. And that's what the banks are doing anyways. Do you consider your Hutsi story, obviously it's still evolving, still building, you're still growing the company. When you get to Dragon's Den, does it feel like, okay, game on? Like, what was that for you? What Dragon's End was for me, I, I had no idea. The community told me what Dragon's End was for me. Okay. Because I thought we went on, we did a pitch. I thought I was extremely nervous. And then the amount, I posted on LinkedIn. Mm. We had over half a million views. The amount of love that we got, I still get love to this day. I promise you today I was got a haircut before this. Mm. My barber, he's like, why don't you want Shark Tank? And I'm like, no, Dragon's Den. He's like, yeah, I knew you were a familiar face. My goodness. So it is crazy the amount of brand equity that that Dragon's Den clip, yeah. that whole process, what that did for us at Hutsey. I don't even think we would have linked up if it was for that Dragon's Den clip. Well, because obviously the way we meet is through one of our, our street development guys. So way to pivot it to me. But a street development guy obviously finds you. And I won't lie. Hey, I know. Because it's, it's a crazy pitch. Hey, I know this guy from the West End. He's running a bank. He's going to take on the payday lenders. Now, for me, I heard payday and my ears perked up because yes. there's an entire segment of my life that existed on payday loans. Yes. Uh, so I, I know what it is to, to be in that line, you know? Um, so I, I take it in and then, yeah, sure enough, he, he was on Dragon's Den. So you can send it to me. And then you watch the video. and But obviously, you know, you get into the room, you're, you're very well spoken. You clearly knew your business. I think the thing that I love about it is startup environment. You, you book Dragons, then you got 30 days to build the company. Because whatever you go on TV and say, it better be what we do. Yeah. And you got 30 days. Yeah, literally. <laughs> How big is the team before the Dragons then pitch? Me, the business partner from Hutsi Stays. Yeah. Our web developer from India. Yeah. And two virtual assistants from the Philippines. How big is Hutsi? No. 14. <laughs> yeah, 14. <laughs> right. Yourself, essentially an equity partner, a developer from India who's the better part of a contractor. I'm assuming you find yeah. him a freelancer or something like that. And, 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 give and bear with me, that developer has been with me. He's still with us to that day, wow. but he's been with me from the job prep days. So you just kept going back to him? Huh? You just kept going back yep, to him? Yep, yep. Yeah, so we've been... 
working together for many, many, many years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like I definitely want to fly him out to Canada and meet him in person one day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Building, building the back out of all businesses. Team of 14. Exciting news about Hutsey, obviously, comes out, feels almost like weekly. But I want to go all the way back uh, to the core of it. What does your dad say about all this stuff? Very proud, very proud. It's like my dad, my mom, my grandma. I get messages every day just telling me to continue to go. Mm-hmm. Keep the right mind on your head. My grandma will message me every day for no reason. Say, stay sober. <laughs> 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 Don't let anything or any woman influence your decisions. Mm-hmm. But no, they're all really proud. And I, my point of view, my family is immigrants. My mom's side of the family from Jamaica, dad's side, Trinidad, they dropped everything that they had to come to Canada to ensure that me, my brothers and sisters, had an amazing life, a better life that they did. So the way I see it, I need to work 110% every day to ensure them that their sacrifice wasn't wasn't in vain. I see a lot of people here that are immigrants as well. Mm -hmm. They're comfortable. Why? Why are you comfortable? Imagine what your family had to go through. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a slap in the face to them. Wow. Pretty sure you feel the same way. I was, look, everybody's everybody's process is is, is its own thing. Um, my parents are immigrants, and my drive is I'll never be as good as my father. I I actually believe that because uh, I think about you know my dad came here at seventeen. They made him restart high school, so he leaves high school at twenty one. Leaves high school at twenty one. By the time he's thirty, he's married. He has a nine year run. In that nine years, he's the North American champion in judo. Wow. He served six years in Canadian Armed Forces. He meets my mom, he marries her, puts her in a house after after leaving high school at 21. Wow. I left high school, I was 17. Nine-year run puts me at 26. I hadn't done a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that and I I I almost get emotional sometimes when I think about it. I because I just think about the run, man. You know, like yeah. I always say that greatness. Greatness is decided at the end for the benefit of a run. People love Kobe because he essentially has two runs. Yes. He has the eight run. He has the 24 With Shaq run. and with Powell. Um, Jordan is essentially the best because he has a run from 89 to 98 when he retires. That's just, un- I mean, it's even before it. that. When he wins the MVP with Doug Collins. So yeah. whatever year that is. I think that's 87. You know, but he has two years. Where, sorry, no. It's got to be 87 because he has two years where he loses to Detroit, but he's clearly the man. Yeah. And then he starts winning. It's just an undeniable run. Like he's people say what they say about Jordan because of this this mythical time, right? Yeah. So for me, that's my father's mythical time. Twenty one years old, fresh out of high school, um, puts his head down and says, "All right, let's see what I can make happen," and puts in enough building blocks to give me an opportunity to live. It's one hell of a run. So that's my biggest driving force. when I look at it from business, but I think the thing I love about your story is the consistency is you're a competitor. You like to fight and you've never been scared to dump it, to move to the next thing. Yeah. That was the hardest thing for me. I was, when I was a football player, when I was a musician, when I was a filmmaker on the outside, it looked like I made those decisions easy. I bawled my eyes out every night when I knew it was the last day. Yeah. Cause it's, it's hard because it I'm addicted to it. I, so I loved it when I did it. And quitting always made me feel, or stepping away made me feel like I was quitting. Did you ever have a hard time transitioning from basketball, transitioning to different companies, 
did it get easier for you as you went on? Was was that time walking away from that team still the hardest or was there a harder time in business to transition for you? So the question that you're asking, was it a tough time transitioning from athletics to business? No, so athletics to business, we know that that was a tough time. We talked about that identity. Transitioning from TD into business or one business into another business, you know, Hutsey stays into Hutsey Financial. Did you find those, did you find they get easier as you went on? Yes. Okay. Definitely got easier as they went on because you build, I like to build in public. Whatever I'm doing, I post on my socials so people see that this guy has a track record of business and he has a track record of wins. So it gets easy. We get supporters and people, like, you know, the, the following that I had, they seen everything before the Dragon's End, before the Startup Fest wins and things of that nature. So it definitely got easier mm. from that point of view. But it's like with more power comes more responsibility. So it's like I've at Startup Fest, one black venture capital analyst, mm. he came up to me and said, straight up, mm. it's up to you. There's not really any unicorns from our culture mm. in Canada. And right now there's two companies that we all have the eye on. There's Hutsey Financial and there's a lady by the name of Claudette. She owns a cybersecurity company, I believe, Foxfire or something mm. along those lines. It's up to you guys because we're all pitching you guys to everybody else in other communities. So it's we need you guys to get to unicorn status to open up more opportunities for everybody else on the ground level. So more, you know, venture capital firms could start investing into diversity mm -hmm. founders mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And that really hit me. Mm. It really hit me. This is bigger than myself. This is bigger than the company. This is for a whole other generation of young black entrepreneurs that we need to do this for. Does the pressure get to you sometimes? Does the pressure get to me sometimes? I've always been the kind of guy, I've never been too high, I've never been too low, mm. but I do 110%. I'll put 110% into my business. I'm that kind of guy to wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. and just work, 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 position my team for success. So I'm satisfied with the results. I'm satisfied with the outcome. As long as I put myself in a position to succeed, mm. find the right mentors, find the right investors on the cap table, hire the right team and put in the work, mm -hmm. I'll live with the results. I thank you so much for sharing your story, for, for running us through this sort of unlinear um, path. I like to end with the same set of questions, borrowing it from a, from a show I used to watch. Uh, just answer as honestly as you possibly can. What noise or sound do you love? Rain. What it's noise peaceful. or sound do you hate? When you're, you know, the chalkboard screech? Mm -hmm. Yes. What would you say turns you on? What would I, in what aspect? Oh, however you want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> what turns what me turns on? What turns you on? Wins, closing deals. Okay. Other than beautiful women, wins and closing <laughs> deals. <laughs> what turns you off? Cigarettes. What's your favorite curse word? Pum pum. <laughs> you asked me to answer honestly. <laughs> and of course, if heaven exists, what would you want God to say to you when you pass through the pearly gates? Thank you for doing what you did for your community. And with that, Tafari Bailey, thank you so much. Shabelle, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, an always an honor. It. Thank you. Yes, sir. This episode of Unlinear was produced by Travell Simpson and Ryan Frenary. Unlinear is a proud member of the Spoke Podcast Network. To hear more great shows, head to spokenetwork.ca. 
You can find more of Tafari's company, Hutsi, at hutsi.ca.